0: to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 is where we are uh, this morning as we are nearing the end of our sermon series called Joyful, a walk through the book of Philippians. I hope that you have enjoyed it. It's been a great, great journey, but we still have about three more years to get through it, so don't get too carried away. Uh, but uh, we'll be getting through this here in the next couple of weeks. But as you're turning to uh, Philippians chapter 3, um, I do want to say to um, to the church on behalf of our staff, your staff, uh, we want to say a big thank you uh, to those of you who have uh, given us uh, cards and gifts uh, since October has been a Pastor Appreciation Month. Uh, we say to each one of you, thank you so much for your kindness and your thoughts. And um, and then I want to say um, uh, to our staff and to you as a church, we have an amazing staff. Can we give a hand clap of praise for that? God is good. So, Philippians chapter 3, as we look at God's Word this morning, as we're going to begin in chapter, excuse me, verse number 12, and we will complete chapter 3. But as you are looking there, um, students of the New Testament, uh, they would agree that Paul, whom we've been studying his letter to the book of Fli- to the church of Philippians, Paul must have been a sports fan. They really do agree that Paul must have been a, a sports fan over and over again throughout his letters to the churches and what we know as now the uh, most of the New Testament. Um, he uses several illustrations from, from the arena of sports. Uh, you can look at his letters, and he speaks of wrestling. He speaks of boxing. He speaks of, of running. He speaks of winning the race. He talks about uh, the discipline necessary to win. Um, he talks about uh, following the rules so that you will not be um, disqualified. He, he, talks about, he talks about receiving the prize by finishing well. Now I have no idea if Paul actually played sports. But he's pretty well acquainted with this whole idea of this athletic world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 he says, "Do you not know that you need to run the way, run the race?" And run it well. He says, everybody who competes and everybody who runs, they, they discipline they, themselves. He says, I, I, I don't run aimlessly. In 2 Timothy, he says, I fought the good fight. In Hebrews chapter 12, he says, this, let us run the race with endurance. Let us endure. So I'm pretty sure that Paul would have been a Georgia Bulldog fan. <laughs> Maybe a Georgia Tech maybe Florida Gator, maybe Alabama Crimson Tide, but I can guarantee you yesterday afternoon Paul and God were not fans of the Texas Tech Red Raiders. (laughs) They cursed them, I don't know, but but last night all was redeemed when the Atlanta Braves have made their way to the World Series. So you may think I'm crazy by talking about all this sports talk, but I get it from Paul, okay? I get it from Paul because he uses several athletic um, um, illustrations to to make what I believe are spiritual truths. For those of you who grew up playing sports or do still play sports or at least interested in sports, sports actually teach great values, They teach the importance of of teamwork, of of perseverance, of of discipline and, and training. There's a lot of things that we can take from the athletic world and turn it into the spiritual world. My high school football coach would often say this. He would say, it is not enough to start well or to lead at the half. You've got to lead at the end of the game to win. That's why he was a football coach. It's pretty smart logic, right there, right? But he often say that because my senior year we went zero and ten, and we had no idea what a win looked like. We may start well, or we would start well, but we would not finish well. Well, the reality is, and this is where Paul's going today, is that in many ways the Christian life is like that. Many people start the Christian life with a bang. Are you with me? They're excited. They are are on fire for Jesus when they first turn to him, but something happens along the way, and they fizzle out. I'm reminded of Jesus' parable on the sower, if you remember that, from Matthew chapter 13. Jesus tells this parable, and he's telling it to the disciples and those who follow him, and he says, you know, there was a man who sowed seed, and he sowed the seed, and it fell on four different types of soil. And one of the types of soil that the seed fell on was the rocky soil. You may remember this story. And, and the seed that fell on the rocky soil, it, the seed sprouted, but as soon as the sun hit its high point, uh, the seed that had it sprouted, it, it withered away. And, and the point of that parable is, is this, that, that the seed that, that falls in that rocky soil, the seed's the gospel, that rocky soil is that individual who receives the gospel with excitement. They are all in at that moment, but as soon as that sun and that heat comes up, they wither away. And the point is simply this, and Jesus tells us this, and what Paul's going to tell us this too here in chapter 3, he's going to tell us this, that some, too many times people give up when the going gets tough. Isn't that right? Have you heard the term "cancel culture"? Too many times, we've seen this in lives of Christians, where we see people who would who are faithful to church, they were faithful to Christ, they were faithful to come into worship, they were faithful to come into Sunday small groups or, or whatever, and then, but the sun reached its apex the heat was turned on, and they gave up. And they gave up. But church, I want to let you know that I don't want our church to be like that. I don't want us to be a people that when things get difficult, we throw in the towel and say, well, I'm done with this whole Jesus thing. I don't want you as a spouse When things get difficult in your marriage, which they will, can I get an amen? Okay, two of you said amen. The other ones are pretty smart not to say that out loud. (laughs) Difficulties come. But just because difficulties come, it does not mean you throw in the towel and you quit. Students, it doesn't mean when you have difficulties at school or difficult in relationships or difficult on the sports field or what you say, well, I'm just going to quit and I'm going to go someplace else. I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go some other place. Nowhere in Scripture does it say to do that. It does not say that we need to give up when the going gets tough. And we have seen, and you know this, you've experienced it, I've experienced it, I read it, I hear it, I see it. We have too many Christians who have given up too easily. Well, this morning in our text, Paul says, don't give up. He says, don't give up. A German poet Hess said it this way, when the pathways seem long, when temptation is strong, when your strength's almost gone, that's the time to press on. Isn't that good? When the pathway seems long and the temptation is strong, when your strength's almost gone, that's the time to press on. So church, when the pressure is on, we need to press on. Well, how do we do that? Well, Paul tells us how to do that in verses 12 through 21. Let me give you four ways that Paul highlights for us on how we can press on. And if you're with me this morning, say amen. Look at verse number 12, and I want you to write this down. The first way that you and I can press on and really enjoy um, a, a life is this. Number one, know the direction of your life. Paul is going to tell us that you can press on when difficult difficulties come your way. He's going to tell us that you can experience joy in your life. When you know the direction of your life. Look at verse 12. And Paul says this: Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. What Paul is referencing is spiritual maturity. He's saying, I haven't haven't obtained it. I'm not perfect, but look what he says. But I press on. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying there is this. He's going back to his Damascus Road experience. He's going back to his Damascus Road experience, and he's telling the church, he's saying, he says, church, listen, one thing that I want, I want to press on because of this. I want to know exactly why God called me. I want to know what happened to me on the Damascus Road experience. I want to continue to know why God laid hold of my life. Meaning this, Paul wants to know why God has his hand on him. Meaning God has a purpose for you. Number one is salvation. Amen. Jesus saves. Number one, God wants to lay hold of you because he wants to save you. The second reason God wants to lay hold on you, because he's got a plan and a vision for your life. And here's what Paul says. He's saying to the church in Philippi, saying, listen, I'm trying to figure this all out in my life. I always go back to my Damascus Road experience, and I want to know why God laid hold of me. I want to know. Actually, one commentator said this about that phrase that Paul says, I want to lay hold of that which God laid hold of me. He actually referenced a football player tackling somebody. He said this, what Paul's reference is, I'm going to tackle somebody because I want to know that they've been tackled. Does that make sense? That doesn't make sense to anybody here. Are you with me? Look at your neighbor and say, we're going to press on this morning. It's going to be a long morning. But we're going to press on. And Paul says, I want to know. I want to know. I want to know the direction that God has for my life. I want to know. Look at verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do I forget what lies behind, and I reach forward to what lies ahead, and I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite, one of my all-time favorite hymns is um, Onward Christian Soldiers. Anybody remember that one? Raise your hand if you know that song. Oh yeah, most of you know that one. That song is one of my favorite. I think I learned it in Vacation Bible School. I think, and um, "Onward, Christian Soldiers" was written in the 19th century. It was written for children as they were going to march to another to another church to have a worship service. And so the, uh, the 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 son, the small group leader for the children, just wanted to write a song. And so he wrote, "Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before." I loved that, and it had that that beat to it. Right, had that beat to it. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe, forward into battle. See, his banner go. It's one of my favorite hymns, but. Here's what's crazy is that some people are offended by that song, because it's too militaristic. Well, folks, here's here's what Paul is telling us, and here's what I think that song is telling us is this. Paul says, we have to press on. We have to move forward. We We have to march towards Christ, which means we must walk in a certain direction. And when you choose to follow Christ, the direction that Christ wants you to walk in, listen to me, is never backwards. It's never backwards. It's never to go backwards, it's always moving forward. Paul says, Paul says you forget what is behind you. you mean, it means you forget the successes that you had, you forget the losses that you had, you forget the difficulties that you had. But Paul says, one thing I do, I do not look behind me, rather I move forward. And so Paul says to us as a church, he says it to the church in Philippi, he says it to us, he says, you march forward. You need to be moving in the direction of Christ Jesus. That's the direction you're to walk in. That term, press on, it literally means to follow hard after a goal, and it means to have a goal in mind. So when the Greek hearer would read this or hear what Paul had to say, in that day, it literally meant, uh, it described a hunter eagerly pursuing his prey, meaning you go hard after something. And Paul says, church, when the, tough, when the tough times come, you press on. But the only way that you can press on is if you know the direction you're going in. I read this in a commentary, and I love this. It said this, Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the fastest lion, or it will be killed. Every morning, a lion wakes up. It knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle, or it will starve to death. It doesn't matter whether you are a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you'd better be running. Isn't that good? And this is what Paul says. He says, you better be running. When you wake up, you better be running, but you have to run in a certain direction. I want you to write this phrase down. It's not on the screen, but write this down. In your spiritual life, direction makes all the difference. When you run, direction makes all the difference. And so Paul says, I want you to run hard after Christ. You forget what's behind and you reach forward to what is ahead. Meaning this one thing that Paul wanted in his life was to hear the Heavenly Father say these words, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's your goal. That's your goal in life. Is it your goal as an individual? That's goal as your marriage. That's goal as your parent. That's goal in whatever you do. Your goal, if you're a follower in Jesus Christ, your goal is this: to hear the Heavenly Father say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's your goal, and Paul says this. You want to press on? Then you know the direction of your life. Here's the second thing that he's going to tell us. In verses uh, 15 through 17, he tells us this, that you are to follow faithful people. You follow faithful leaders or godly leaders. Look at verse number 15. Y'all still with me this morning? You sure? All right, here we go. Verse number 15. Paul's writing, and he says, Let us therefore... As many as are perfect, that word perfect means those who are reaching for spiritual maturity. That's what Paul is reaching for. That's what he wants us to reach for is spiritual maturity because you can't be perfect on this side of heaven. Amen? You can't. But we are to reach for that to try for that. Let us, therefore, as many are perfect, have this attitude. What's the attitude? You press on. You don't give up. You keep going forward. Well, some bad things happen. Doesn't matter. You keep going. You go in the direction of Christ. Have this attitude, and if any, and if in anything, you have a different attitude. I love this. I know Paul's a pastor because he throws in there, you know, just in case some of you don't have a good attitude. He knows. He says, and if anything, you have a different attitude. I love what Paul says. Paul says, I will make you change your attitude. He doesn't say that, does he? He says what? God will reveal it to you. What it means is Paul is saying, listen, if you have a different attitude than this, than moving forward and pressing forward and going on, he says, listen, I've already told you once, I'm going to let God take care of you. I'm going to leave it in God's hands. Listen, church, so many times, so many times, and this is, comes from leaders, this comes from parents, so many times we want to change people's attitudes, and we try to take control. But here's what Paul, the greatest leader, the greatest Christian, says, listen, I'm going to let God take care of it. I'm going to let God, cont- I'm going to let, God's the real attitude adjuster. I mean, growing up as a kid, my parents' belt was the attitude adjuster, Right? Right? You know what I'm talking about? But Paul says, listen, spiritual maturity is allowing God to change the other person. It's not you doing that. And so many times we get in trouble. We get in trouble in relationships. We get in trouble in leadership while we try to force the issue. And here's Paul. He says, man, if you don't believe like I do, he's going to tell you in a minute that you need to believe like he does. But he says, if you don't believe like I do, that's fine. I'll let God take care of it. Because my God can do it, and my God will do this. So verse 16, however, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. And so Paul is telling the church, he's saying, church, you, you need to stay teachable. You need to have a good attitude, you need to stay teachable, but how do you stay teachable? Verse number 17, Uh, brothers and sisters, join in following my example, and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. In chapter 2, he's already talked about two guys. Who are those two guys' names? Timothy and what? Epaphroditus, thank you, I'm glad you're listening, very good, good. Timothy and Epaphroditus, he's already given us an example of who we need to follow. He's already said we need to follow Jesus. And now he's saying, follow my example. That Greek word for follow is where we get our English word mime or to mimic. That's where we get it. And Paul says, he says, he says church, you need to watch me. You ever done this to somebody? You ever do that? I'm watching you. Paul says to the church, watch me. Watch me. You follow me. You follow my example. Now, it sounds pretty arrogant, doesn't it? I can come across pretty arrogant. You, you, you follow me. I, I remember I was in, I was in seminary, and um, I, was, I had, had to write a paper, and um, it was in, uh, I think it was in systematic theology is what it was, and I uh, wrote a paper. I did not receive a great grade. And, I, and I, actually, I received a reprimand from my, from my professor. He actually got on to me per, pretty good. And um, I'm a redhead, if you, don't, if you don't know that or not. And too many times in my life, I. anyways, that's a different story for a different sermon. But I, I remember writing, and I, I, wrote, I wrote this in, in my paper. I said, as a pastor, I'm to live in such a way that people want to follow me and follow my example of how I live. This is what I said. I just, as a pastor, I'm to live what, what I teach and, and people to follow my example. Apparently, I didn't write it eloquently enough, and the prof took major offense to it. And he, 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 he tore into me pretty good. And so I, I kindly spoke back to him. <laughs> I said, I'm just saying what Paul said. I'm just saying what Paul said. I'm not I'm not trying to be egotistical. I'm, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I, I don't. And Paul, when he says, follow my example, he's not being arrogant here. This, this is, I think too many times our, our Western viewpoint puts arrogance into it. In the Eastern uh, idea, there's a lot of following. There's mentors and you want to follow somebody. Paul is not being arrogant here. He's already said in verse 12, he's already said, listen, I am not where I really want to be. He has already said, I haven't obtained it. I have not reached perfection, but I'm pressing on to the upward call of God. I want to be more and more like Christ. And so he says, man, come follow me. That, that's the journey I'm, I'm on. And, and, and for many of us, we need models. We need mentors. We need people uh, to follow who are going in the direction of becoming more and more like Christ. I mean, I, I know this, that, that if we do not have... Uh, somebody to follow or somebody to, to walk along with, it's easy for us to veer off the track and we get lost in the wilderness. Are, are you with me? It's very, very, very easy to do that. That's why, that's why I'm a big believer in, and, and you hear me say this a lot of times that we're a multi generational church. And that, and, that, that we, and that multi-generations work and worship together. They serve together. Why is that? Because those who are in the older generation era, here's what we, we need you. The younger generation needs you. And we need you to give us the example of how we are to live. We need your expertise and your wisdom of like, you know, we've walked through this before. You're gonna be okay, but we need you. And so that's why we have multi-generational worship. And that's why we come together as worship as one. I I don't, I don't want us to worship separate, because we need you. Younger generation, you need the older generation. Older generation, you need the younger generation. Why? Because it's the picture of heaven. It's the picture of Christ. We need each other. Older generation, there's a younger generation that needs to know how to pray. And the younger generation needs to, needs to see you praying, and they want to come up to you and say, man, can you tell me how to pray? Because I don't know, when you pray, something happens, and I want to be a part of that. We need that. We, 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 we need these things, and Paul says this. He says, follow my example. Because I'm following Christ. And my one goal in life is I just want to look like him. That's it. I just want to look like Jesus. So come follow me. I mean, I would would love it, and this is kind of a selfish thing. Um, I mean, I I would love it. I mean, if other churches begin to see how, how we follow Jesus, and they become to follow us because we're following Jesus. Does that make sense with anybody? Am I touching anybody's heartstrings today? Is the Spirit alive in your heart today? I just want to follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, people are going to be attracted to that. Yeah, there will be some who will be offended. Let them be offended. But you follow Jesus. Well, I've got a tough time. Press on. Your goal as a believer is to be like Christ, that's your goal. Make that your one goal in life. Don't make it to be, well, I want to be the best. No, no, Be. I want to be like Christ. I remember growing up, I'm so off script right now, I'm just going to let you know, I don't even know where I am. <laughs> Whatever I say is free from this point on. I remember growing up, um, the, I, there, there was a Gatorade commercial. This is when Michael Jordan was still playing. Anybody remember Michael Jordan? Um, and I, and I believe the, I believe the Gatorade commercial said something along like this. Cause you know, see Michael Jordan shoot, um, he's making everything, dunking everything. And, but then you see him drinking Gatorade. And I think there was a, there's a theme song that went along with it. That says something like this. I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Anybody remember that? Somebody just raise your hand. Make me feel good. You remember that, right? And what was the point? The point was, man, if you want to dunk, if you want to shoot like Michael Jordan, then you can do what? Drink what? Get Gatorade. Folks, let's be like Jesus. Let's be a church that's like Jesus. And let's be the church. Let's be the people. Let's be the families. Let's be the parents. Let's be the business leaders. Let's be the school leaders. Let's be, the, let's be, let's be those who are the, are the city leaders, the community leaders. Let's be those who are out in front because we're following hard after Jesus, and you can come follow us because I know where we're going. We're going to be like Jesus, so you come follow me. Let's be that. Paul says, know the direction you're going, and then follow godly people. And then here's number three. Look at verses number 18 through 19. When Paul says this, he says, walk in wisdom. Look at verses 18 through 19. Now, I've, I've given a little positive spin on this one here, but but walk in wisdom. Because in verses 18 through 19, Paul gives us a warning. Paul gives a warning. I mean, you know this. The Bible isn't always just everything's all great. He's going to give warnings. And Paul gives us a warning, and he says this. He says, in order for you to press on, in order to keep going forward, you need to know who the enemies are. You need to be aware of them. Look at verse 18. He says this. For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now I tell you weeping. I find it interesting that this is the happiest book in the Bible. And now we see Paul doing what? He's crying. He's weeping. He's a pastor. Because he sees. It's like a parent. When we tell our sons and the daughters, I don't think that'll be a good way for you to walk. Because as parents, we, we see what's in front of them. Are you with me, moms and dads? We, we've already been through an experience similar to that but we can also see the consequences of their decision. So we, we say, look, I, I, don't, I don't think that's a good thing for you to do, but mom, dad, you don't understand. No, 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 I, I do understand because I see farther than you do. So this is Paul, the pastor, saying, man, listen, you need to know. You, you need to know that, that, that these tears that I cry, I, I'm crying tears for you because you need to be aware that there are people among you that are enemies of the cross of Christ. And he says, look, I, 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 I weep for you because I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to think it's, everything's going to be great and, oh, if you follow Jesus, then everybody's going to be along with you. No, no, no. You need to understand the people even in the church, maybe even the people that sit next to you in the worship service, maybe even those who even go to this, some, some small group, they could be an enemy of the cross of Christ. Well, I mean, that's hard. Now, why would Paul say that? Because... If you know Paul's theology, Paul says this multiple times. In 1 Corinthians 2, he says this I have determined to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. Galatians 6, he says, God forbid I should boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Folks, listen the cross of Christ is the major theme of the Bible, it's the heart of the gospel. The cross of Christ is what gives passion to our praise. There is no such thing as a crossless Christianity. You cannot follow Jesus Christ if you have not come to the cross. If there's no cross, we're not even here today. And Paul says you need to be aware that there are some people out there who want a crossless Christianity. And so you need to understand who your enemy is. I, I see this in the life of churches, because there are many different churches today, and I'm, I'm thankful and grateful for that. You know, there are churches that have contemporary worship, and there's some that have traditional worship. Listen, they're not the enemy. There's churches that are casual in style, some in. You know, not so casual. That's not the enemy. It's, there are churches who do small groups different. One maybe do home groups during the week. One does it on Sunday morning. Listen, th- th- those, those aren't the enemy. We, we, don't, we don't go after those. It's those who deny the cross of Jesus Christ. It's those who say, you know what? I- I'm not even going to deny myself. I'm actually going to live the way that I want to live. I'm going to reject picking up my cross, and I'm going to do what I want to do. Look at verse number 19, because Paul says, this is what the enemy looks like. He says, in the end is their destruction, whose God is their appetite. It means this, they think only for themselves. They only care about themselves. They only do what they want to do. They don't care what you want to do. whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame. Whose glory in their shame means this, that when Jesus returns, they will hang their head in shame because they knew they were doing what they should not be doing. Are you with me this morning? And he says, who sets their minds on earthly things. And this is what Paul says, watch out for them. Jesus in Matthew 10 says this whoever does not pick up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me he says if you want to lose your if you want to if you want to find your life you must lose it for my sake luke 14 jesus again says this you cannot be my disciple if you love your family more than me you love your own life more than me if you do not carry your own cross if you do not follow hard after me And Paul says, watch out for those who don't deny themselves. Are you with me? Now, in a worship service like this, that's hard to detect that, right? I, we can't see. We can't hold each other accountable. But in our small group strategy, that's why we want to come along beside somebody. And that's why when you're in your small group and Hopefully, prayerfully, you are developing relationships with one another that you can speak truth into each other's life, but you do so with grace. And say, you know what, I, can, can I just share something with you? Can I, can I tell you what I'm seeing? Can, can I tell you that what I'm seeing right now is this is all about you and it's not about the greater good? Th- th- is that registering with anybody? Maybe. Paul says, watch out. Paul says, watch out and walk in wisdom. And then here's the last thing, and it will be done. He says, remember who you are. Know the direction of your life, follow godly people, walk in wisdom, and then finally, know who you are. Look at verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion, exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Paul says, remember who you are. And I love this contrast that he gives. Verses 18 and 19, he has just said, this is what the enemy of the cross looks like. They live for earthly things. But here in verses 20 through 21, he says, remember who you are, that you are a citizen of heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. Therefore, you live like that citizen is supposed to live. Meaning, you have died here. You are alive there. You have citizenship in heaven. That's who we are. As a matter of fact, our citizenship is in heaven, and we here on this earth, we're just passing through. And we're to be ambassadors for Christ. Why? Because you have died yourself. You've denied yourself. You've decided to pick up your cross and follow Jesus, and you want to live for Christ because you know that your citizenship is in heaven, and you want to bring glory and honor to your heavenly Father. You have a heavenly passport. The passport allows you to go from country to country. We as believers in Christ, you have a spiritual passport. And we're to live according to our citizenship. Now, here's two things that Paul says that, that point to us being a citizen in heaven. Number one, here's what we do. If you're a citizen of heaven, here's what you do. You eagerly await Jesus's return. Amen? You eagerly await. That, that the phrasing in Greek um, paints this picture. Um, it paints this picture of a child uh, standing on his tippy-toes waiting for his dad to come home from work. That's the picture. He's eagerly waiting and so we eagerly await the return of jesus christ and the second thing that that proves that we are a citizen of heaven is this that we expect a glorious transformation of our earthly bodies and everybody says come lord quickly come quickly we need that transformation right paul says when jesus returns we will get a new body one commentator said this i will be raised and beautified it's pretty good i i need to be beautified but more importantly i want to be raised with the new body of christ paul says you press on you press on because because jesus is coming and and he's going to transform everything he'll transform everything and you and i'll become more and more like christ There's a story that I've, I've shared um, during a funeral before. I think it's a good story. But it's a story of a, of a lady who had uh, been diagnosed with a terminal disease and the doctor said you need to prepare. Uh, make preparations for, for that time when you pass away. The lady was a believer, called up the pastor and said, "Pastor, this is, this is coming in my life and I want to start making preparations for it. And this lady this began to tell the pastor all the songs that she wanted to be sung at her funeral. Told him what scriptures she wanted to read and told him what clothes she wanted to wear, which, by the way, pastors don't care. I don't need to know that. I was was having this discussion that the lady looked at the pastor and said, but I do want to be buried with, with two things. I want my Bible with me. Pastor's like, yeah, that's no problem. Well, what's, what's the second thing that you want to be buried with? And a smile came across her face and she said this I want to, uh, she said, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. Pastor's like, excuse me? You want to be buried with a fork in your right hand? And she said, yes, sir, I I, I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. He said, okay, tell me why. The lady began to tell the story of growing up in the church and going to those famous Baptist potluck dinners, dinner on the grounds, fellowships. You know what I'm talking about? And she she said, my favorite part of those dinners was always when somebody would come by and start to clean up the plates from our meal, but they would always lean over to me and say this, you need to keep your fork. And she told the pastor, she said, whenever that person said, you need to keep your fork, I knew that something better was coming. I knew that what was about to come across my table was not gonna be jello. It wasn't gonna be that congealed salad with stuff all in there that I have no idea what it is. It wiggles for all eternity. Not gonna be jello, it's not gonna be pudding. She said, I, when they say you wanna keep your fork, I know that something with substance is coming. And I get excited. And she said, Pastor, I want you to, I want want a fork in my right hand when I'm buried. And I want all the people to come by and see me. And I want them to ask, why does she have a fork in her hands? And then, Pastor, I want you to tell them. You have a fork in your hand because there's something better coming. There's something better coming than we'll ever know than here on this earth. We have something better coming. So press on. Press on. Your pain, your struggles, it's just temporary. It's just temporary. The tears are temporary. The pain's temporary. The disease is temporary. The tough relationship, it's temporary. Passion's been going on for 20 years. That's temporary in God's eyes. So today, when you go to lunch, you look at that fork and you press on.